How do you know when she's really angry? Or when he has finally lost it? Is it that extra special rattle of the dishes in the kitchen? Or perhaps a little more oomph on the gas pedal as you take off from the red light or the, the, the red that is rising in the cheeks or in the voice? I read this week that the only reason kids have a middle name is so that they can gauge exactly how bad they have been. How do you know when the Lord is mad? How about when his voice roars out such that the fertile pastures are rendered dry and the verdant tops of the mountains are stripped bare? of the beautiful green. This is what Amos describes for us as he talks about the roar of the Lord. Amos is very similar to Hosea, so similar in fact that I mixed them up in my announcements this week and probably will mix them up in the course of this sermon. They were contemporaries, Amos maybe about 10 years prior to Hosea, but addressing the people of Israel during a time of almost unprecedented prosperity for the kingdom of Israel as their enemies were pushed back, as they were enjoying material wealth again, as they felt like they had really been established as a kingdom. But Amos has a message of judgment for the people of Israel. To get the idea of where this message of judgment comes, we are going to start at the very center of the book. Amos is nine chapters. Chapter five is right in the middle, and actually you can see the themes narrow in towards chapter five. Chapter five, the first 17 verses of it are set up in what is known in literature as a chiasm, The chiastic structure starts and ends with a similar theme, and here it is judgment. And then it continues, the second theme and the penultimate, the second to last theme are related, and in this case it's a call to repentance. Then the third theme and third to last theme are related, and in Amos 5 it's talking about the the, uh, abuse of justice and righteousness within the land. Let's read together the very center of this chiasm that is in the very center of the book of Amos. I'm going to continue with this. Um, as we look at Amos chapter 5, verses 6 through 10. I'm sorry, verses, yeah, 6 through, uh, boy, 7 through 10. There are those who turn justice into bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground. He who made the Pleiades and Orion who turns midnight into dawn and darkens day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land. Here's the center of Amos. The Lord is his name. With a blinding flash, he destroys the stronghold and brings the fortified city to ruin. There are those who hate the one who upholds justice in court and detest the one who tells the truth. So do you see that structure there? There are those 
who withhold justice and righteousness, and then a proclamation about the Lord the Creator, just a beautiful hymn of praise, and then the very center, the Lord is his name. And then again, talking about the power of our creative God. And then again, there are those who withhold justice and practice unrighteousness. Amos wants us to know the Lord. Amos wants us to revere the Lord. And the message of Amos flows out of the character of the Lord. In fact, it's not only in chapter 5, but in the previous section of judgment and prophecy against Israel, and in the next section of judgment and prophecy against Israel, in all three of the major central sections of Amos, there is a hymnic section that concludes with the proclamation, His name is the Lord. That's the basis of what Amos has to say. And one thing that he points out when he tells us about the name of the Lord is that the Lord is the powerful and wise creator. Did you hear those beautiful words there? He who put the Pleiades, that's uh, the seven sisters, and Orion up in the skies. He who created the heavens and the earth He who put in place the rules of physics such that the earth rotates and also circumnavigates the sun and you have sunrise and sunset. In another one of those hymnic passages, he who treads the mountains, the one who created all of this beauty, the one who in his wisdom established the laws of creation, the God of all the universe, the one who put in place the water cycle. Did you read it? The waters evaporate from the oceans and then they descend back upon the earth. This awesome and mighty God, he is the Lord and he is the one as the creator, as the ruler of all of creation, of the heavens and the earth, he is the one who has the right to say what is just and what is good and to call his people to account. After that proclamation that he is the Lord, Amos goes on to say that he does awesome things. Now, as we read that hymn, we are moved to rapturous worship, right? How glorious, how wonderful is he. But the purpose of these words in Amos is not to move the people to worship, but rather to fearful awe. And so the mighty deeds that the Lord performs are destroying strongholds and tearing down cities. In chapter 9, in that, same, that similar hymnic passage, Amos says that he touches the earth and it melts and all who live in it mourn. Amos' audience is called before the awesome power of the Lord to say, Woe is me when I see his holiness and when I hear of his justice. 
Amos's message is that the Lord is angry. He goes on in chapter 5 to talk about the anger of the Lord, to compare him to a lion, even to a lion who tears his prey into pieces, barely leaving uh, an, an ear, Amos says, that the shepherd might find left over after the lion has accomplished his work. But the first time we hear about the Lord as a lion in Amos is at the very beginning Amos 1-2, the Lord roars from Zion and thunders from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds dry up and the top of Carmel withers. The Lord is angry. This awesome, mighty creator God is angry in the book of Amos. And throughout chapter 1 and into chapter 2, Amos proclaims the Lord's righteous wrath against the nations. If you look at Israel kind of in the center of this prophecy, Amos, in talking about the Lord's wrath against the nations, starts north in Syria with the city of Damascus. For three sins of Damascus, for four, I will not relent. And he recounts the outrages perpetrated by the armies of Syria against the land of Gilead, describing it as if uh, they were running a plow across the land and across the people, tearing up the earth and tearing up the inhabitants. In each of these prophecies, Amos describes crimes against humanity that are committed in warfare against neighboring nations. He talks about entire peoples taken off and sold into slavery. He talks about tearing apart the weakest, the most frail among the inhabitants, even the desecration of the bones of those who have been killed as the result of warfare. Starting with Syria in the north and then going down to Philistia in the southwest and then up to Phoenicia in the northwest, and then down to Edom in the southeast, and then up to Amnon, and then Moab in the east, absolutely surrounding the nation of Israel, Amos lays out the wrath of the Lord against, or or that is rising up against the crimes committed by these surrounding nations in their rage. The Lord hates the crimes against humanity, they're committed in warfare by these surrounding nations. And as the people of Israel hear this prophecy, they're like, hey, okay, that's pretty good. Yeah, bring down Amnon, bring down Edom, bring down Syria. Those are the bad guys. Six prophecies about the surrounding nations. Now, knowing the scriptures, we understand that the number seven is the number of perfection. Six days of creation and then the seventh is the day of rest. Six times march around the city of Jericho and then on the seventh day march seven times and the walls will come down. Seven deadly sins, seven sayings of Christ on the cross, seven trumpets. The number seven is the number of perfection. So as the people hear six prophecies against the surrounding nations, they're thinking, what's the seventh? And guess what? It's Judah. 
Ever since the divided kingdom, the constant rivalry with the kingdom to the south has been a thorn in the side of the nation of Israel. And so Amos says, for three sins of Judah, even for four, I will not relent. And the people rejoice in hearing the sin of Judah in their idolatry and the judgment that is coming upon them. And at this point, again, Israel's feeling pretty good. Proclamation against all the surrounding nations, even the hated nation of Judah. But then Amos goes on. Out of nowhere, the eighth word of condemnation. And suddenly that beautiful ring of wrath against surrounding nations becomes a noose that is tightening around the neck of Israel. Amos 2.6 begins, for three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not relent. They love hearing condemnation for the surrounding nations. But really, the message of the wrath of the Lord in the book of Amos is a message for the people of Israel. The prophet turns the tables and points straight to the heart of the people of Israel and says, these are the things that God hates. Let's continue in Amos 2, they sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. Father and son use the same girl and so profane my holy name. They lie down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. In the house of their God, they drink wine taken as fines. The thing that the Lord hates, that he sees among the people of Israel, the thing that raises his wrath against his own people, is injustice. In that little passage, we see it expressed in three different ways. One is using the people using the poor in particular for gain. Selling the poor to gain a, sell, a sandal. Selling them in order to profit from a little bit of silver. He talks about crushing those who are helpless under powerful feet. He talks, frankly, about trafficking. That passage about a man and his son using the same girl, that has to do with temple prostitution trafficking of humans for pleasure. He talks about denying the protections that God had instituted for the poor. What a tremendously powerful little verse there, lying down next to their altars on garments taken in pledge. I don't know if you remember, but in Exodus, in protection of the poor, the Lord commanded his people, if you take someone's outer garment, 
the thing that keeps them warm. If you take it in pledge against a loan, don't keep it overnight. Give it back to them so that they won't be freezing in the middle of their poverty and debt. That is repeated again in Deuteronomy. It's repeated again in the book of Proverbs. The Lord is compassionate towards those who are poor and desires his people to be compassionate towards those who are poor. But here you have the people of Israel not only keeping that garment overnight, but going to the place of worship with it, lying down next to the altar, flaunting the protections that the Lord had raised up or had established for the poor in the land. And it's not just this passage. We're not picking a few obscure verses out of the middle of Amos chapter 2 in order to make a point about justice. If you read the book of Amos in the course of this week, you saw that justice is the very central theme of this book. In chapter 3, he goes on to talk about the people using storage units because they have accumulated so much wealth on the backs of the poor. In chapter 4, he very graphically describes the gluttonous women of the land as the cows of Bashan. In chapter 8, don't want to leave the men out, he points out how in complacency they are living in pleasure, increasing their own wealth. In chapter 5, we already read about the perversion of justice and righteousness on the part of the people, and we see further in chapter 5 how it is not only individual practice, but systemic injustice as seen in the courts that Amos is crying out against and that the Lord so strongly hates. In chapter 8, we read about cheating and dishonest gain and unfair market practices that the people use in order to increase their own wealth at the expense of others. God hates injustice, and he pronounces condemnation against his people as a result. And he does so on the basis of the fact that he has blessed them. Going back to chapter 2, he says, aren't I the God who led you out of Egypt, who set you free? Aren't I the God who gave you victory over the surrounding nations? Am not I the one who gave you the prophets and gave you the, the system of worship so that you can love me and hear my word and follow me? And yet you have used these privileges for your own comfort and luxury. Chapter 6. You lie on beds adorned with ivory and lounge on your couches. You dine on choice lambs and fattened calves. You strum away on your harps like David and, impose, and improvise on musical instruments. You drink wine by the bowlful and use the finest lotions, but you do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. Joseph is used to refer to the nation of Israel in the book of Amos. You enjoy all these luxuries and fail to see the ruin of your land and grieve over it. Therefore, 
you will be among the first to go into exile. Your feasting and lounging will end. Instead of recognizing the privilege of God's blessing and using it for his glory, they use it for their own comfort. Instead of recognizing the privilege of receiving the word of the Lord and listening to it, they drive away the prophets. And God is angry with the people. In fact, in Amos, Israel's abuse is on par with the crimes against humanity committed in warfare by the surrounding nations. In the eyes of the Lord, the injustice practiced in the land is just as bad as the horrors perpetrated by the surrounding nations. There's a second thing that God hates in the book of Amos, and that is hypocritical worship. It's another thing that's found throughout the book, but there's two particular passages that we can focus on. One is in chapter 4, in verses 4 and 5. Amos talks about the fact that the people can't redeem their avarice with their tithes. What an interesting thing he has to say here. Amos 4, 4, and 5. Go to Bethel. Remember, for Israel, Bethel was the central place of worship. Go to Bethel and sin. Go to Gilgal and sin yet more. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three years. Burn leavened bread as a thank offering and brag about your free will offerings. Boast about them, you Israelites, for this is what you love to do, declares the Lord. This is right after another of the passages in which he describes the gluttonous injustice that happens in the land, and he says, following right after all of your crimes, you go and you offer a tithe, and you boast about an offering, but this follows with more words of condemnation. God wants nothing to do with the kind of worship that seeks to justify oneself in the midst of one's sin. In fact, he goes on with even more powerful words. This is in chapter 5 again, verse 21. I hate I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to, your, to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. The hypocritical worship of the people is actually hateful to the Lord in Amos. Those sacrifices do nothing to bring redemption. These are heavy words, but it is worth thinking about 
how we might see this in our day. It is worth reading the book of Amos as a call for us to examine our own priorities. Keep in mind, please, that Amos actually doesn't have anything bad to say about wealth and blessing. Hear that again. In fact, the book of Amos ends with an incredible promise of material blessings being poured out on the people in the day of God's mercy in the day that is to come. But what Amos has to talk about is where that wealth came from how it was obtained, how it is perpetuated and increased, and how it is used. And the center of life for the people of Israel was comfort and self-satisfaction and increase of personal wealth at the expense of those who were most vulnerable. And this is what the Lord hated. And so we are called to look at our priorities. We live in a time of unprecedented peace and prosperity as a nation. We live in a time where all of us enjoy comforts that many could never have imagined in years gone by and even in this day. And again, the word of the prophet is not a condemnation of God's blessing, but it does call us to think about my priorities in increasing blessing and in using blessing. And today we're going to talk about two different realms in which we need to examine those priorities. One of those realms is actual physical wealth and the way in which we may participate in injustice and abuse in our world. Somebody out there is probably saying, okay, Tom's going all woke on us. I really am just trying to say what the Lord says through Amos. And it's actually incredible how closely it parallels how we live. He speaks of the opulent houses and the multiple houses, the summer homes and the winter homes and the garden homes that the people are able to build for themselves while they decorate it with incredibly beautiful furniture and inlaid ivory. He speaks about selling the poor to obtain sandals. And I can't help thinking about the source of our Nikes and our iPhones and the people who really are abused and exist in slavery so that we can increase our comforts. To what extent is our life of ease perpetuated at the cost of others? I really do believe that Amos calls us to look at how we spend our money. It's real easy to find very cheap, very convenient things. It's really hard 
Instead, to say, no, I'm going to deny myself this particular pleasure because I know where it came from and I understand what it cost people around the world. And instead, I am going to use those resources to advance God's kingdom. Those are the kind of priorities that Amos calls us to examine. And we're going to talk more about the idea of instead using our resources to advance God's kingdom because it falls right into the center of what Amos has to say. I think you get the idea. If Cary is where better living begins and Apex is the peak of good living, then Amos might have something to say to us today. A third thing we learn about the Lord in the book of Amos is that in the Lord's system, actions actually have consequences. Going back to chapter 2, when the Lord began his prophecy against Israel, he says, now then, I will crush you as a cart crushes when loaded with grain. The prosperity itself is crushing the people. The swift will not escape, the storm, the strong will not muster their strength, the warrior will not save his life, the archer will not stand his ground, the fleet-footed soldier will not get away, the horseman will not even be able to save his life, even the bravest warriors will flee naked on that day. A day of economic, national, and social devastation is coming upon Israel. And remember, Amos is proclaiming this to a people who are living in a time of unprecedented prosperity in their kingdom, where the borders have been restored, where the wealth is pouring in, where they're living in comfort, and it's only a few decades until the absolute devastation, the imminent destruction and unexpected judgment will fall upon the land. But that day is coming. Amos is one of those places where the prophet says, you're looking forward to the day of the Lord because you want wrath to be poured out on all the surrounding nations. Well, guess what? The day of the Lord is for you. But there's another consequence of the people's actions. They had rejected the word of the Lord. They sent the prophet home. And God says, chapter 8, the days are coming when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. One of the principles we see throughout Scripture, Romans chapter 1, is probably the most uh, well-known to many of us, is that God will close the hearts and minds of those who continually resist him. And so in Romans 1, Paul says, because the people gave themselves over to ignorance, God increased the ignorance among them, allowing them to descend into greater and greater depths of sin and lostness. 
And so the consequences are not only in that material realm, but in the spiritual realm as well. And that gives us another hint that the solution, the call for God's people is both in the material and in the spiritual realm. Fourth thing we learn about God in the book of Amos is that God is merciful. Eight and a half chapters of Amos, honestly, they're angry ranting because that's how angry God is about injustice. But the last chapter, the last half of the last chapter is another one of those proclamations of restoration and of return. And it's so appropriate that in this one, the emphasis is on blessing. Chapter 9, verse 13, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman. There's so much harvest that you're still harvesting when it comes time to plant. The planter will be overtaken by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from the hills, and I will bring my people Israel back from exile. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat the fruit. That abundance that God promises in that day of restoration reminds me of the spiritual abundance that is ours in Jesus Christ. I think it's really important at this point to pause for a minute and remember that we are not Israel in that day. That yes, there are absolutely parallels between the harsh words that Amos has to say and the opulent life that we lead. But there is no parallel between the condemnation that Amos pronounces and what we will experience. Because brothers and sisters, that terrible wrath and that condemnation was poured out on Jesus Christ. And instead of punishment, and instead of destruction, everyone who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ has blessing in its place. I'm reminded of John chapter 1 in the prologue of that beautiful book where John says, from the fullness of the grace of Christ, we have experienced one blessing after another. Reminded of Ephesians chapter 1, where the apostle lays out for us a litany of every spiritual blessing that is available to us in Jesus Christ. Yes, we need to hear the words of Amos and we need to take them into heart. But we can also recognize that God in his mercy has poured out on us spiritual blessing after blessing. And our responsibility then is to share that blessing with others. The greatest injustice, a friend of mine from the mission field used to say, 
The greatest injustice in our world is inequity in hearing the word of the Lord. The greatest injustice is lack of gospel access. Every sort of material injustice only serves to underline how horrible is the fact that every blessing has been poured out on us in Christ, and yet there are people next door, down the street, at work, and billions across the world who have never heard the good news of Jesus Christ. There is a famine in the land, a famine for the word of the Lord. There is a terrible inequity as we bask in the glow of spiritual blessing, as we enjoy fellowship, as we enjoy the peace of God, as we enjoy his love poured out on us, and sit in the complacency of the men in Amos chapter six, lounging on spiritual luxury as there are so many around the world who are robbed of the opportunity of hearing about Jesus. So Amos calls us to respond to this God of justice, this God of compassion, and this God of mercy. Going back to Amos chapter five, This is right after that passage, that beautiful hymn, that proclamation of the injustice in the land. Amos says, therefore the prudent keep quiet in such times, for the times are evil. Seek good, not evil, that you may live, then the Lord Almighty will be with you just as you say he is. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. It's actually a fascinating little verse. The prudent keep quiet in such times, for the times are evil. It's fascinating because Amos didn't keep quiet. Amos was a regular guy. He was a shepherd in Judah. He cared for sycamore trees. His prophecy is filled with the agrarian terms of a man who had interaction with the land, and that was his area of expertise. And yet God called him to be a prophet in Israel, to leave that place that he knew, to leave the profession in which he was trained, and to go do something he had never been prepared for, but to which God was calling him, and that was proclaim the word of the Lord in the land of Israel. Prudent people don't do that. And we actually get some help in understanding this passage when we realize that elsewhere in the Old Testament, this word is used for those who want to have success, to those who recognize, are able to take the temperature of the culture and do what is necessary to, uh, to be relatively successful in life. So, when the times are evil, the prudent keep their head low and don't say anything. But we're not called 
to that kind of prudence. We are called to be the Amoses in the world. It might not make you popular. In a society that encourages wrongdoing, we are discouraged from standing for principle. But Amos sets us the example of opening our mouths in the face of injustice, even at the cost of personal comfort. And again, that might be material injustice, but that's also the spiritual injustice of the famine for the word of the Lord in the land. When we see it, let's open our mouths, even though that might not make us popular. Second thing that Amos calls us to do is to seek good. There's a great word picture in chapter, I didn't write this down, seven, of a plumb line. And Israel is measured against this plumb line. Let's seek the face of the Lord in measuring our priorities against the plumb line of his justice and righteousness and compassion. As we make decisions on how we're using our resources to perpetuate our comfort or to advance the kingdom, let's measure those decisions relentlessly against the straight line, the uncompromising ruler of God's justice his compassion, and his love for the lost. And then let us love what is good. Let's look for opportunities, as Amos said, to let justice roll. Miriam and I were talking about this. Do I really think that if I don't buy those Nikes and instead I buy something that was sewn together by the hands of those who are actually paid a fair wage, do I think I'm going to change the world? No. I don't really think I'm going to be able to change the world by the little decisions that I make. But God isn't calling the people of Israel to change the world. Remember, Amos starts with a condemnation of the horrible practices that are taking place in the world around the nation, and then goes to the heart of God's people and says, where is your heart? I don't think I'm gonna change the world, but maybe my own heart will be, con will be changed, conformed to the image of my God who loves justice, who loves mercy, who loves compassion, my God who wants to see justice roll across the land, may the first place where justice rolls be in my own heart. And may the justice that rolls across the land be the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ as his righteousness spreads among the peoples. Let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, we are so desperate for the work of your Holy Spirit in our hearts and minds. There's some things that are clear to us when perhaps we lie, we lose our temper, we commit one of those sins that constantly nags us. But there are areas of blindness in our lives in which we don't even begin to comprehend. And I fear in my own life and in our lives that, that this area of justice is one of them. On the one hand, it's, it's so hard for us to identify. And on the other hand, it's overwhelming because it's ubiquitous. It's just all over the place. Almost every purchase that we make, almost every decision that we make is, is filled with the injustices of our world. I know that I am overwhelmed. But what you desire is hearts that are entirely yours and a life that is built around your priorities. And so, Lord, just speak by your Holy Spirit through the words of this prophet through the words of Christ and point out to us the areas where we can conform to the beautiful, loving, compassionate, merciful image of our Savior. And then, Father, please, You've blessed us so much. Show us how we can turn those blessings into the proclamation of your good news around the world so that we will properly live for your glory and not our own well-being. In Jesus' name, amen.